You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Mira, I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. I'm super excited for today's topic, where we'll be sharing insights on creating a culture to attract and retain top talent. I'm joined by amazing panel today from the Sydney software engineering community to draw on their experiences and discuss the challenges in the post-COVID area. So I'll get Philip if you wanted to kick things off just with a bit of an introduction. Sure. Hi, my name is Philip Loriano. I am currently a engineering manager at Zip for the customer acquisition team. I've been in the industry for around 23 years, and as you can see, I know quite a few people on the podcast, so <laughs> I've been around, <laughs> uh, but he, hopefully I could learn a lot from, as well as contribute to this particular episode. So we'll see, fingers crossed. <laughs> no doubt, thank you so much. And Shomya, if you would like to go next. Hi everyone, uh, this is Shomya Swaroop. I'm working at SG Fleet right now. Uh, and before that, I've been all into banking, uh, into different regions, uh, OFX, CBA, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland, uh, BNYM, um, and Citibank. So there's, there's a couple of, uh, you know, uh, more. Uh, but yes, first time into fleet management, but mainly into agile delivery uh, from okay. past six, seven years, um, working as Scrum Master, agile delivery manager, and also system owner here. Um, um, thanks, Miro, for this opportunity and looking forward to this podcast. Thank you so much. You. And Mona, if you wanted to finish things off with the introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Mauna Nilkanta. I am currently working as the Director of Engineering at OFX, um, which is obviously in FinTech. Um, we're into foreign exchange. Um, prior to this, I was working as a consultant for almost eight years for a company called Rudify, and I got an opportunity to uh, you know, work in 14 different companies and 20 different product teams. And I think I got a lot of experience delivering products across different organizations and, and, and structures. And I think through all of that, I always felt like the, the 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 company success and goals really start with finding the right people and I think that's why I'm here to talk about a little bit more about that. 100% thank you so much. I guess before we jump in and start discussing everyone's questions that you've all put forward today I think to kick things off we can go around and kind of just define what top talent really is. I think uh for me, I think there's there's the very different definitions for top talent, and it really varies from companies to companies and the, and the role requirements. But I think over the time, if I can really concisely define it, I feel like it's the right combination of the right attitude, good experience, and right skills for the specific job. That's how I would define top talent. I like that. Thank you. And Shamir, you wanted to comment there as well. Yeah, so top talent is something which every company is looking for, but how to find it, how to retain it. Uh, that's That has always been a challenge and that's why we all are here. Uh, top talent for me, as Mona said, you know, uh, it's not just the skill set or the technical skills, but the right attitude and the right mindset. Also with the changing and evolving industry and organizations, how well you adapt to these changes, how well you understand and improve yourself every time. That's also for me is an important factor when you say or uh, call it as a top talent. Yeah, that's how it is. Similar there for you as well, Philip? <laughs> Not quite. I, okay. I, I'm, I'm of the <laughs> persuasion 
the top talent is somebody who has excellent soft skills and a mastery of the English programming language. Um, every mm. every developer within the industry knows how to Google, look at Stack Overflow. So it's not necessarily just one particular trait. Or you know, I, I, we've all done this. You know, you you've looked into to CV. You know, I want ten years of React and, and you know some really ridiculous requirements. But every time I get into an interview with somebody, it's always about can this person work within the team? Do they have the soft skills? Is it somebody that I could grow with? Uh, it's not just a specific set of responsibilities or, or, or skill sets. It's, it's just about that journey. Where, where could I take this person? You know, and, 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 and let's, let's be honest. When you look at LinkedIn, you've got LinkedIn premium. I mean, just a shameless plug. It actually tells you what the average tenure is inside of a company. So if you're going to go there and you're like, well, wait a second, if the average tenure inside of a company is what, less than nine months, Mm. You have to think of it as a journey. So what is this person going to be doing at the at the first month? And what are they going to be doing by the time they hit the ninth month or however month they decide to stay in? Very interesting perspective. That's a great point, um, Philip. And if I think if I can add one point there, I guess uh, very fascinating in what you mentioned around uh, the soft skills as well. I think I feel like the 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 the, the technical skills is almost like the the foundation. Like for example, if I if we need someone to do an AWS migration, let's say, and not having that skill uh, is is probably even if they have the best soft skills, um, probably might not work in that situation. But that is the foundation. On which you build up the the the, the, the right skill and the right ad, sort of the attitude after that. Yes, um, and 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 that's not saying that I would just go for somebody based on soft skills. I mean, we actually do need people to do the work. <laughs> it's yeah. just if I had to choose between somebody who had just the skill of you know doing a, AWS migrations versus somebody who who might not be the best at it but can learn through it quickly, communicate with a team, keep, you know, there's all these things that ha stem from being able to work with the rest of the team and get things done. I'm not looking for lone programmers. I'm actually looking for people that can work within a team. Uh, and, and again, I mean, this is, this is where the whole bus factor comes into play because the, you know, there's, there's all these books around being a linchpin, but the problem there is as a manager, I want to make sure that there are no, there's 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 a certain amount of redundancy in terms of skill within the team mm. and i can't have that redundancy if this person is the type of person not to communicate not to share their knowledge uh, that's actually how you get a team to grow it's not necessarily just getting somebody so super skilled that you're pretty much they're pretty much still stuck in the same place i want to make sure that the team's growing and the other side of that is you get a lot of people that end up quitting because they're like, well, I've been doing the same thing for 10 damn years. <laughs> I'm going to move to someplace new and actually do something new. Yeah. Thank you so much. For that. And it leads nicely onto your question, actually, that you put forward um, about sort of the average tenure. So it is how do we screen candidates given the average tenure in a tech company in the current market, of course, is, you know, two years or even less, really. So are we missing out on quality candidates by screening them too harshly as if they're applying for a lifeline appointment? What, what, what do I have to say? Okay, so I, I'm going <laughs> to be screening people going through the door. Like I am, and, and, and I learned so much about what not to do and how harsh not to be because the 
requirements to get in were actually much harder than the day-to-day -day job that we actually expected people to do. Um, and we, and at the time I was just a senior dev, you know, I, I, I was just doing it for fun. I was like, okay, I'm going to throw them the hardest question ever <laughs> that's buried under like six different books. And, you know, hopefully that they won't know it, you know, it, but looking back, if you look at the current market right now, it's, it's the average turnover is what, like less than two years, if, if you're in a really good company. Uh, and even within our own and my own screening process, it used to be like this grueling two-hour session of tell me everything that you know. You know, I'm going to squeeze everything out from your brain and just to prove or disprove that you actually know what you're doing. And then we realized later on that people are people. They get turned off by these things. And what we really need to have is a balance of soft skills and at the same time have a balance of people that know what they're doing. And there's a lot of things that you can do to prove that people know what they're doing without making them feel like it's a one-sided conversation. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I mean, the other thing yeah. to consider is that back then, like 10 years ago, it was an employer's market. So you had like 100 people going in for one position. So you're like, okay, I need <laughs> to cut out 30, or, you know, 50, 60% of them. And now it's like, we got people just jumping in and out of companies left and right, yeah. no matter how good they are. The complete opposite. Did you have something to say there? Sorry, Shamia. Yeah, so 100% agree that when we screen a candidate, we need to look for the right blend and balance between the technical skills and soft skills. And that's where the interview process has to be a combination of the technical questions and also some of the scenario or the team related questions, which I feel like you know, we can, uh, you know, work or, or, you know, improvise on because when we, I feel like when we recruit the management uh, candidates, uh, then we do ask a lot of them. But when we are screening the technical candidates or the engineering candidates, how much we are focusing on those? Because a lot of times the cost of recruitment actually becomes a lot. And if we are recruiting a wrong person and the person is not able to gel well with the team, that's a larger cost rather than, you know, maybe just take another round, uh, you know, with the maybe, uh, you know, different ways of interviewing, not just the manager and also, you know, an interaction or a cup of coffee with the team as well to see, you know, how well they're gelling with the team members as well. And that's where you can actually see you need not ask questions you can actually see how how the chemistry is flowing and how much they are discussing which i feel like uh you know as an industry we can we can do that and uh, can be a different way which you which your question is philip you know different way of interviewing the candidates so yeah yeah i, I would say that one of the things that i've tried that works out pretty well is is to I know within your, your typical interview, you always have this Q&A where you're like, do you have any questions at the end? I, I hate that. It's like the most awkward silence ever because you 99.9% .9 of the time they're like, uh, no, I think I'm good. But yeah. one thing that worked pretty well for us, especially within the COVID times where people were like, number one, we, we're not getting any, any more immigrants because the whole country is closed out. So we have a fixed size talent pool where people are just kind of jumping jobs. So the thing that we tried that worked out pretty well is we actually flipped it around and said, ask us anything. And you could, the first question you should be asking us is why should, you know, should you jump jobs and join us? Yeah, instead, like of, instead of just trying to say, well, you have to prove that you're good enough to actually get through these gates. 
because and definitely yeah yeah because i to found the that process it really does and at the same time i it's good because based on the questions they ask i mean it's a bit cheeky i i know based on the questions they ask it gives me an idea of who they are what what their passions are and it's it's not it's not it's not like an interrogation. If they ask me, you know, what's it like with, with code quality or how do you how do you improve things? What do you look after? I mean, that's that's the kind of things I look for from a developer. But if they're like, well, do you have a ping pong table? Um, <laughs> you know, what are your breaks like? I mean, it, it tells you a lot about what their focus is. Let's put it that way. Um, so my what I'm getting at is that there's a lot of subtle ways that you could actually find out who people are and still make them feel like people. Like I've been through so many interviews myself where I was like, that was horrible because I was felt so awkward at the end of it. I just felt like I was completely drained. Like I was, I was, it's like I'm taking a board certified exam for a job that is probably not gonna last me more than like a year or two. Like WTF is up with that. <laughs> Um, some great okay. points there, um, Philip and Shomi. I think if I if I may add a few points there too, I think I, I'm I'm probably a little bit on the other side of this um, this this, this uh, dynamic because I I feel like as managers, you know, we we have a very fine line between um, hiring the right talent at the, at the right time and getting getting people in because obviously there's a big cost for company for not having people you know uh, in, in the right levels as well so there's a big there's there's a fine balance between that and also hiring the right person because there's a cost of hiring the wrong person not only on the team and the company but on the person itself because are they happy uh, to come into this environment and this and doing these projects like is there enough transparency um, there so there's costs on both sides so there's a fine line I think we have to kind of really tread on on, on speed and and really um, uh, thoroughness uh, in this in, in in this process and there's a lot of creative ways to like as you said Philip I really like your idea of like you know, letting them ask the questions rather than you doing that um, but I feel like with the two years as well I feel like getting the recruitment getting the person wrong even one to two years is a long time for that to have a, a, a lasting impact on the team and themselves. Um, so I feel like there, I'm a little bit more reserved there. I feel like even if it's one one year or two years, there's certain processes that I think we should follow to get that right. Yeah, but don't we have a don't we have something called a trial period that lasts six months? And then if anything goes wrong, we just kind of say, sorry, I, you know what, we really tried. Have um, you been, it's, sorry, <laughs> I'm getting, we're getting very excited with this conversation. It's uh, <laughs> a very interesting perspective. <laughs> like, I, I understand that. I, I, I completely agree with this idea that, yes, we want to get the right person. But in this market, the, the, the cost of it is, is, is actually quite balanced. It's not, they're not permanent on day one. I mean, I, I'm just going to be completely transparent and say that, yes, you, you might make mistakes. But you also have to lean on the fact that there are signals that you do get very early on, whether somebody's the right person or the wrong person. It's not like, okay, you, warm body. Okay, let's go. It's, it's never like that. Uh, it's more like, well, yes, I understand this person has the right skills. They got the right background. Uh, they've got good communications. Let's, let's give them a go and see, see what, what, where, where this takes us. And more often than not, it works out pretty well. Yeah, I think that there has to be a balance and on both the points because mm. uh, that's true. Even we we do a lot of scrutiny and a lot of questions, which is required. Still, you know, the person is not able to fit in. 
sometimes and even if we are soft uh, then also if the person is not able to do do the job the basic skills then also you know that's going to hit the team morale and it's not just the cost of recruitment but the team morale you know somebody join mm. and then somebody leaving. not able to fitting and then then leaving couple of months it's so it's it's both the ways and both the areas we need to be uh, smart enough and sometimes you know the manage real instincts we need to mm-hmm. just work on those so yeah so that's how you know different people and different companies different managers are recruiting and the industry is evolving okay well i'm going to put this question out there because this is a bit more controversial because i don't want this to be a little fluffy without actually just drilling into it so let's let me ask you this so within the stories within my own team i always say all right so we've got these so called acceptance criteria in agile and and you say well as soon as you've got the story done you know that this is a successful outcome but on the other side of that it is a bit more controversial is the exit criteria so how, so when it comes to actually having somebody that you hire what is the success criteria and what is the exit criteria because if we we want to talk about how do we balance this out as a manager unfortunately we have to make these really hard decisions about well what are some indicators that i look for that are green flags but what about the red flags and what are the yellow flags or what about the things that you, you just you want to make sure that you get right because part like i said you're not going to get everything from somebody out of like a two or three stage interview process you have to thin slice it i But think it's, it's it's always going to be a challenge to make sure that you get through that right Absolutely and that's a very interesting analogy actually Philip. I think I think uh, one thing that I'll definitely mention that is I think you're comparing a a a non-emotional request you know acceptance criteria in a story to a a fully fledged human with with a lot of emotions and and and, and subjectivity and 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 sort of gray areas as well because there's a nice ex- entry and exit criteria for a story to to get into production but these are people and there is a lot more to that because a story might not feel bad uh you know if if we say it's it's actually didn't pass probation but this is a human being right and it's a big hit on their um on their on their career and their egos and everything and we have to consider all of that um while we're making a decision as well well it's not really and reducing also- people down to stories it's it, it's it's more <laughs> of it really isn't it's 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 weird because you you have to have the balance of Yes, you have to treat people like people. I mean, let's let's be honest. Uh but you know there's certain things that are not on. They never will be on. Like for example, for me, if somebody's not performing, they're not really just doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's that's a clear indicator that they're probably not a right fit. Uh at the same time, if they're smashing it, then it's and, and they're doing really well with the team, then of course, that's that's where we want to keep them as long as possible. So it's not just I mean, I use that analogy as as a really crude one, but let's if you zoom in on what we actually look for is we we want, I'm looking for people that not only fit well within a team but they actually perform and and they actually make the team better i mean for me it's communi- a balance of those calm skills as well as the the technical skills uh but that being said part of it part of my job unfortunately is deciding where where that fulcrum actually sits thanks uh- can I just say I think one more thing I think that's a great way to end it Philip I think that's part of our job and what it makes it very interesting and difficult is to find that balance 
Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> when you compare it with the story, so maybe you can set up the acceptance criteria or the success criteria, but exit criteria can keep on, you can keep on raising the bars and as manager, you can keep on help them grow, help them achieve new, uh, you, you know, whatever they want in their career, new promotions or, or new technical skills. So that's mainly like, you know, there's no exit criteria. It's, it's just between the two people and, and everyone in the team, they have their own strengths, their own weaknesses. Important is like how we are working as a team and collaborating, I, I would say, you know, Thanks. and as a manager, how much we are contributing. And I, I got it, Mira. Let's move to. <laughs> Thank you, Shomya. <laughs> we'll move on just to keep for time's sake. We'll move on to our second question um, that was put forward by Mona. So what is um, a strategy that you implemented that significantly helped attract and retain top talent, the right talent that is? And I guess what worked for you and what didn't work for you? Yeah, I can I can jump in. I think I can um, give one example, especially obviously um, during uh, the COVID and how significantly it has changed the landscape. Um, I think one of the strategies that definitely really helped us is to, um, you know, change with the changing types in the sense that really uh, understand what people needed from us at that time. And that was really a lot around remote work and flexibility and quality tech tools to sort of enable, you know, collaboration, relationship building, knowledge sharing and communication. So I think really stepping up the game at that time on offering these things and adapting um, is, is one strategy that really helped us because there's been, you know, in, in every conversation that I have with candidates, they always ask me one question. So that is, am I required to come into the office? <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I think really adapting to that and then saying like um, you know not not really I think it's, it depends on your teams but we are fully like a global organization I think those conversations has really helped to attract the uh, yeah the, the, the right people and also cater for their requirements I think a very important point Mona how we have adapted uh, you know as as an industry and not just you know for particular organizations to this whole pandemic and the ways mm -hmm. of working, that's uh, something magnificent, you know, because when I was interviewing for SG Fleet even, uh, they had certain, uh, you know, criteria as I'm just naming, but yes, they wanted for certain days, but then they, they're always, you know, taking feedback and they are trying to change themselves, which is amazing. And I think every organization has done that to retain the talent, but then there can be some personal needs, there can be some specific needs. Um, what the one thing which I did which with when you know the COVID struck and and I think the the one thing that brought was definitely flexibility and greater work-life balance for a lot of us and the one thing that it took away was the personal connect of uh, you know with the people within the team so uh, for that something I did was like having regular you know casual catch-ups in the team uh, release celebrations, coffee catch-ups, and in OFX, Mona, if you remember, in the data team, I, uh, you know, we used to do the Friday evening walks. I do. So uh, with with the video call, so that was something <laughs> when I was there and started doing that. We used to play, you know, games, online games. So it was just, you know, if people who want to do, you can do, and it's just more like retrospectives, making them more interactive. How how you can do that, uh, you know, and and also be mindful of the time of the people you know it doesn't mean they're working from home they can be you know available all the time so a lot of things in addition to what Mona you have said and definitely all the great points but yes these are the things we need to really consider yeah 
Thanks, okay. oh. <laughs> no, my turn. So I, I would say it's it's slightly along the lines of yes, remote working was a huge draw, but I, I one of the strategies that seems to work really well as well as make you know help retain a lot of the people that we already have at the moment is the shift towards flexibility and and the focus towards outcomes rather than clocking in and clocking out. Because I've seen a lot of companies that are, they're like, well, we don't want to force you to work outside of the hours of nine to five, which sounds great. It's, you know, we want to keep people working within, you know, the 40 hour work weeks, but it doesn't really align the team along the lines of, well, what are we actually trying to do? And, 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 and one of the draws that I've learned that really helps is, look, I don't care if you work four hours in an entire week, if you do everything you need to do within those four hours. Uh, and how you manage your time is really up to you because it gives you the flexibility to either clock in, clock out, do what you need to do. Because I know consulting, they charge crazy amounts of money per day, but this is different. Uh, what I care about is what you actually do with the time you have. Now, the nice thing about going remote is all of a sudden these one or two hours that Every no, actually, it could be two to four hours, depending on where you live, where people are actually going to work and coming back. They could actually be spending it on working on things that actually make a lot of sense. Um, it will, and everybody could, and everybody that I've spoken with, I mean, as I say, anecdotal evidence is not evidence, but there is strong evidence to suggest that because of the pandemic and because everybody was forced to work remote. And you compare the amount of productivity that we had where people said to go to the office and then come home prior to the pandemic compared to now where everybody's mostly remote and they're still getting things done. It's fairly negligible in terms of the output. Now, the weirder thing that I've noticed within Zip, which is really funny, is we have some people go into the office, but these people end up being on Zoom calls with other people who are still working from home. So it's it's not it's I'm not knocking anybody who wants to come to the office, but if the net the net result is you still go into the office, you still are talking to people that's remote, you still end up doing the same thing, then it's it's really going to draw people in if you say, look, how you manage your time is up to you. This is what we need to do, and as long as you meet that, that's all I care about, and and, and that's what motivates a lot of people. It's that with Dan Pink with autonomy, mastery and mission and purpose that makes a huge difference versus somebody who might be just clocking in. They're like, oh man, it's five o'clock. I'm sorry, I can't do anything. <laughs> and, and that's a, actually, it's a great point about what you mentioned, people coming into the office and like being on Zoom. I always feel like even if one person in the team is on Zoom, everybody else is on Zoom. So it's always like the the the, the, the lowest denominator, right? And and so um, if if if... And one of the strategies from a lot of the companies is obviously to go global. So even if there's a central office, but people come into the office, even if one person is somewhere else, then it's it's kind of like the 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 Zoom session in the office. Yeah. Oh, and shameless plug for Zip because what one of the, the more recent benefits that they've done, which is really cool, is if you've got family overseas, a lot of us have family overseas. You travel there, you you, you stay there for like four weeks, like let's say it's Christmas or some December holiday. What Zip will typically do is say you could stay there for another four weeks and work remotely while you're you're still with family over there and just come back. Very uh, cool. 
So, yeah, the, and, and that relieves a lot of stress, especially if, you know, there's, yeah. there's things you got to do overseas and then you just want to come back and. We do, we do that too, Philip, actually. That's very interesting. Like even at OFX, like I think it's a, it's a, uh, I think something around like around uh, max of like three months that you can kind of like work overseas. Um, at the moment, obviously case by case basis, depending on lots of other things, but that's something that the, the, I've heard a lot of great feedback about that as well, especially with immigrants, you know, because they can go visit their family that they couldn't do for two years uh, when everything was locked down. So uh, companies supporting these initiatives has definitely, um, yeah, uh, help to retain the, the good talent. Well, definitely, even as Chief Fleet is doing that. And as I said, you know, that uh, I think the industry and all the organizations, they're adapting really well and trying to help. And still the question remains how to retain, <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, that's how it is. There's, there's another side to it as well, you know, like uh, Going to office, it's sometimes I've I've seen uh, you know uh, uh, some of few of my uh, people in my team they want to work in the office because they don't have that kind of conducive environment uh, so at home that they they can work. Or some people are really you know they're they're alone and they feel really uh, you know not really great working all alone at home. So it's very much depending on person to person and and that's where we need to give that flexibility to them. Well, yeah. how they want to do it the so, whole yeah. yeah the whole hybrid sort of working hybrid from home needs yeah. to I guess is a whole nother topic in itself but I think really we've kind of touched on that flexibility that engineers are sort of looking for what do we actually think top talent um wants from their job in this year in 2022 but if you wanted to kick things up with that what do you mean? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think it might be very sort of different for different people and um, and getting that right and doing some in, you know investment and to understand what 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 their top talent want is 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 exactly like very very um, key you know I think because. For example, let's say um, someone who is, uh, you know, who's much further down their career, but looking for the next step up, um, mm. they probably are looking for room for growth. Um, so they're looking for investment into their learning and, and career aspirations. Um, but for someone who is starting out as a graduate, they're looking for that support. Mm. Um, from their team and being able to take them on a bit of a journey and give them that buffer and that start, you know, that that. Uh, uh, I guess leg up, I guess, and and people who have families are looking for flexibility and might be, uh, and re maybe remote working. Uh, you know, people from different sort of um, genders and race might be looking into diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I think there's a range of things that top talent is looking for, and doing the research and understanding really who are you targeting, what do they want from us, and getting that right, I think is is very key to be successful in this in this space. Thank you so much. And and your and OFX, I know you mentioned before, is doing very well with the whole diversity and women in tech. So what was the stat again with women in um uh, within OFX? Yeah, thanks, Mary. I think absolutely. I think that's one of the def one of the things that definitely attracted me to OFX. Like 43% of our people are women, I know, and Incredible. something like um, fifty percent of senior leadership and board is actually women. Um, that is incredibly well. Like OFAX, like does really well in that area, which which naturally attracts a lot of people, diverse and inclusive, uh, who 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 uh, yeah, who care about diversity and inclusion. I guess yeah. uh, it naturally attracts um, attracts uh, people from different demographics, which has definitely helped us. Yeah, it's amazing. And Shomi, what would you say? What do you think tech talent is looking for this year? Um, I think. Uh, 
you know, the main thing they are looking for is flexibility, definitely. And uh, they're also looking for growth, for learning. Uh, with all the market, that's how it has become. You know, when you get so many calls, being practical, I'm just saying, if you get so many people approaching you at LinkedIn, then your aspirations also increase. That's be, be practical, you know. <laughs> like two, maybe five years back when you knew that you this is the only job, yes, I'll do my best. But you know when five or ten people like just approaching you, then you know what are the options out there. So uh, top talent wants a lot of things right now, and that's where the challenge <laughs> I think is with organizations. You know how yeah. to give uh, give them everything. You know they they want a raise, they want a promotion, they want uh, you know a learning prospects, they want growth prospects. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of things we need to work here. And I think, uh, you know, it, it's something which we need to still uh, observe and find out because this is the new trend now. Um, and, and as Philip, you were mentioning sometime that there are no immigrants, right? So this is the talent pool we have. We need to work out. Um, and I feel like, you know, nobody really, I've never, never, never really heard about people talking about it. But one company's HR, when they are trying to poach other companies person, they should also be mindful that that might be happening with them as well. So <laughs> I don't think, so think about it, but uh, that's how it happens, you know. Uh, like I'm finding in, in fleet management, this whole industry, you know, some of our uh, analysts, you know, they're, they're going to other companies, they, they are coming to our company. So and, and it's not like too much, but I'm seeing a trend. You know, and, and, and banking, I think that was happening some time back. Like it has been always there. Uh, but yes, that that's there. So it's just not really adding to the point. But that's something an industry, uh, interesting trend, which is which is something to be observed. So, yeah, it's, it's more like everything, Mona, I will say to your question. <laughs> <laughs> they need a little bit of everything. And yourself, Philip, they what's your thought? They need a little bit of everything and more of what they really is your, that really is their priority. <laughs> Take care. Yeah. So I've got a confession to make. Before the 23 years that I was a software dev, 30 of those years of my life was spent as a gamer, uh, mostly on RPG related wow. games and things like that. <laughs> now, the reason why I bring this up is that what do you, if you ask me why or what, what do people look for when it comes to their next careers is I, I'm, I'm going to, nuance this and say, uh, I, I think people want to look at their next job as a quest given to them by an NPC that basically says, hey, we're going to get you to do this really awesome thing. And I need you to join me on this quest. Uh, <laughs> now, there are certain times they don't actually entirely complete it. But generally speaking, let's assume that it's for two years long. I want you to do great things in this two year period. And here's what you get to do. Um, now, what that experience is going to be is really up to us as managers, because I'm going to I'm also going to preface this with with the two sides to the infamous quote that people don't quit their jobs, they quit their managers. Uh, but conversely, the right manager could attract the right people. So yeah. it's interesting because for me, the the art of getting the right people is giving them the challenge to say, I know you're not going to be here forever. But if you do decide to, to come with us on this journey, this is the other end and this is what you get. 
So, and of course that's going to be different with seniors. It's also going to be different with juniors. With juniors, they, they, they've got this fire that they, they, they just want to burn through, but it's just completely, uh, let's just say shotgun. Uh, they take the shotgun approach versus the senior that's already pretty much been through everything. Um, and, and the question is, you know, what, if I put myself in their shoes, like what do they get to do? What is the new cool thing that they get to build? Where do you see us going? And I, I suspect that where a lot of the errors or the shortcomings in retention happens is there's a misalignment between what their initial expectations are to the point at which they resigned and said, well, you told me I was going to save the princess. And now <laughs> I'm just kind of, well, I'm not really doing that. Um, but if you, if you make them feel like, like for me, I, I've run into situations where I actually quit because it just felt like I, I did everything that I could. I couldn't do anything more. And it wasn't out of frustration, but it was like, do I really need to slay that dragon for like the 1100th time uh, versus somebody who's like, well, oh man, I've been doing BAU for, you know, 200 days straight. <laughs> Thanks so much for thanks for sharing your experience and it's such a fun way as well. Um, we'll move on to our last question of the day, which was put forward by Shomya, which is what is better for an organi organization and why matching salary expectations of an existing talented employee or hiring a new one? Yeah, so I, I felt like that's the question which and the dilemma which probably uh, you know, all the organizations may be facing and, and you guys are the pioneers in your uh, areas and you can, you know, <laughs> let me know. But uh, yes, when somebody, you know, practically, if somebody who is reporting to you resigns, then uh, what are you supposed to do really? You, you, you may be in a situation where you have probably tried everything which the person is asking, but, uh, but still, you know, if the person is, uh, you know, wanting, like, as I said, mentioned, you know, the opportunities we are having right now. So uh, they don't want to wait, maybe, you know, they just want immediate confirmations onto yes. So in that situation, what we should be doing, like, we should be just, you know, going uh, with that person. Yes, we, you, we know that the person is talented and you want to retain that employee or go to the other path, you know, and then let the person go and then and to what extent as well. And when you hire, you know, a new person, then the cost related to it and the whole, uh, not just the cost, but the emotional uh, emotions of the team and yours and then the uh, whole exercise in itself is, is massive. You know, and you don't know, and we have already discussed that the person will fit in in the team or not. So it's a huge cost. It's not just the the money, but it's it's the everything. You know, the exercise, the efforts, and everything. So what we should be doing in that situation, and I would want to hear from you guys. Um, I feel like there has to be a balance, or again, it's it's all about you know where you find the right. Uh, pull and where where do you come uh, you know which point you say that you know this is the best you can offer and after that you need to you, you need to let the person go and need to hire uh, someone else because that's also an attitude and mindset problem also with the person who is you know ready to go even with with you know if the person is getting everything if the employee is getting everything and 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 is still ready to leave so that's what I think but yeah uh, what do you guys think? Go ahead, Mona. 
I'm gonna rant. I'm gonna rant on this one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, I'll let, you, I'll, I'll let you go last then, Philip. Yeah. All right. So, so I think uh, I mean very good question. I think um, Shomia, it's 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 a it's it's a tricky one, you know. And there's not a right answer every time. I feel like it's very situational, and there's a lot of context around it. But I think I feel like by the time the person is come to resignation, I always feel like it's a bit too late because they have gone through the process in their mind about making the decisions. Because it is it is a big change for them. Like changing a job is a big life decision. So I feel like when by the time it comes to that, it's a little bit too late to um, to tr obviously try and convince them. Uh, I, I, it might be possible. I think what I what I try to approach with is obviously try and catch that early. Like, are we meeting the requirements? Not, not the requirements, but the uh, but the yeah the requirements of our people, not just the new hires, but our existing people. Like, do we know from all like? Uh, do they want more flexibility? Are we meeting their uh, career aspirations or their promotions or their salary? So knowing all of these things and working very, very closely with your people, I feel like has had a better success for me. Um, but by the time it reaches the resignation, it's, it's, it's very difficult. But if the existing person, I always feel like always look at the existing people first. I always look at the bench first. So if they can meet the the job requirements even for a higher salary and if that is within the budget it's a fair game let's talk about it and also if we are going to bring in a new person at an ex at a higher rate why not the current person if they can do the job and it should always be we should always reward loyalty as well um mm. not the bringing the new talent so that's how i feel i think but it's it's i don't think it's a a right answer every time it's very contextual it depends um and, and that's where my question is mona that Practically, you you know you manage people, you know their salaries. Uh, aren't you ready to give a much higher salary when you hire somebody from outside and not that much raise to an existing employee? How many times that happens? And that's the question. It's. I think we should definitely be doing that. We should be proactively be doing that. Like even like yeah. within sort of some of the companies that I work. Like what we have done is you know the the HR team, people team is uh, has an, done an amazing job of always you know comparing the existing salaries with the current market rate and proactively offering that raise if the market has moved on like considerably over the last uh, few months. I think we should definitely be doing that in the existing market. Mm. Um, and our people team, yeah. Uh, uh, can be proactive with that. We should definitely, definitely do that. Not doing it is a, is, is very risky in the current yeah. market. Um, and definitely, add, I've, I've, sorry, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say to add kind of to your point there, Mona. If someone, as you said, if they've, it's a little too late. If they're resigning and then just expecting a raise, if that person has gone through the process with another company and used up all their time just to get a raise, really should have they not just asked for that raise rather than you know waste quite a lot of people's mm. time to get that? Is that someone you really want working for your team? Is there loyalty there as well? No, definitely. I think the time is changed. Like the companies have be are becoming more responsible, uh, you know, uh, more cautious and responsible in that ways. And I've seen at SG, like management is going like every breath to understand, you know, what are the, uh, you know, market rates and, and what they're doing. So, so yes, yeah, so they were doing and And that's good that, uh, good to hear that, you know, even the other uh, companies are also looking at it in the same way. That's good. You know, can I just add one more point before um, we hang out to Philip for his uh, <laughs> <laughs> rant? Uh, I think I just to conclude. <laughs> 
I just wanted to share a little story. I think, you know, last year, my husband and I, we were buying a house and every time we would look on real estate, they would tell us like, uh, you know, considerably less price because the, the system hadn't caught on with the increase in the market rate. But then we would turn up in the auctions and it would be considerably higher than what it was on the real estate. I feel like some of the data, because the predictions are also based on historical, but the market doesn't always, you know, uh, match the, 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 the predictions. It hasn't caught up yet. It hasn't caught up yet. Yeah. So there there is definitely that element when we're trying to match people's mm-hmm. sound. So right. people think, yeah, should yes. not just look at the data, but just look at like, what, what would it cost us to hire a new person in the same role? Mm-hmm. And if you're ready to pay that, if, if, if that is within the budget and we can afford that, then we should probably be paying that to our people. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Are we ready for <laughs> Philip to take it away? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll make this one quick. Uh, I genu- genuinely believe those two questions are orthogonal. First of all, number one, we should be look, continuously looking at what the salaries are for existing employees, because as we know, the inflation rate this year was pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that as the inflation rate goes up, we adjust their salaries to match so they don't actually effectively get a cut in pay. Uh, and at the same time, I, I would be very worried at giving a counter offer to anyone because it's not, it's not their, it's not really their fault it's mine as a manager because for me a counter offer is a management smell like if you've gotten to a point where the only thing you could actually do to tell somebody to stay is i'll pay you more then there's a lot of conversations that could have been had to prevent that um at the same time i i'm just i would be a bit concerned because you've got we, we do, for example, the other part of this is if you have one person that you're concerned about that you might lose a whole lot of knowledge, a whole lot of skills because they are leaving on top of the counter offer. The other question I would be asking is what are you doing to the team as a manager to make sure that the, that knowledge is spread against more than two or three people? Like, I don't want somebody sitting in the basement just doing one thing when I could have spent a bit more time getting them to pair up with others so that I don't have to have these awkward conversations around, well, I'm going to pay you more so I don't lose this knowledge that should have been spread to the team in the first place. Because there's there's that underlying premise that gets me. It's not It's not just making sure that we pay the right people the right amount of money like i've i'm well now that you mentioned uh, real estate i actually ran into the same scenario while working within domain i had when i resigned as manager there were there was one case where i saw one person that was actually getting paid less compared to her peers were getting roughly more money and and they were they were doing the same amount of work and i said on my last departing notes is have a look at this person's salary because she is pulling her weight, but she's not getting the same pay. So there's a balance there. Uh, For me, there's a lot of things I could do better as a manager to prevent that last conversation around, oh, hey, we'll pay you more, just stay. Mm. Because let's face it, they're going to leave anyway after somebody matches them and promises them a better quest. They're just going to run off and say, hey, I'll do that instead. Uh, So it's better to have those kind of conversations before that happens and at the same time as a manager, just to 
you know, there's certain things you could do with rotation and spreading the knowledge that actually improve morale and also add that level of redundancy. So that if somebody leaves, it's not, yeah, that's the problem because you're, you're taking a larger hit because all of a sudden you got to hire for that skill set that if you spent like several months of just getting everybody to do everything, for example, it would have cushioned the blow of, of them leaving. So it's, it's really that the, the, what I call the game of infinite balance, because you're never going to get what you want. Uh, as a manager, you always have fewer people than what you actually need to do. Um, but on top of having not all the people that you need to have, you also have to have that set of skills that is just sitting with more than one person in the team. So it's as long as you have that level of redundancy of like, say, two, three, three people that know it, it's unfortunate when people leave. But at the same time, it there's a lot of knock-on effects that make a huge difference within the team because everybody knows everything. That's one. Two, it feels like you're actually doing more than just the same thing every single day. And three, if you have the conversations around making sure that people are feeling good about themselves so you don't have to have that conversation around, hey, how about I pay you more so you don't leave, then it's a win-win. So I don't want to get ranty, but there's a lot of, there's like two other questions we should have been asking before we got to this point. And yeah, that's, that's me. That's my two cents. Um, second that. Yeah, th that's right. You know, it's a conversation. It's an ongoing conversation all the time. And um, when SG went through their agile transformation, they have gone recently. And when I joined, uh, that's the things uh, they are focusing. And that's, that's like, they're, they're quite a big skill company and they, they are focusing on a lot of things and cross-skilling, as you said, is one of them. And with, you know, a lot of trainings and everything, which is amazing with the, the scale uh, they have and the investment they are doing. So, yes, definitely. And it's great to see, you know, the the views matching uh, with uh, with Mona, with Philip, and it looks like everyone is on the same page, which is, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, that's... That's great. And some great takeaways from today. So we'll leave it there for the discussion today. Um, thank you so much again, everyone. I hope everyone's really enjoyed listening. And again, I'd like to say a big thanks to the panelists. So thank you, Philip, Mona, and Shomia for such insightful insights into today's discussion. And thanks again. And we'll see everyone on the next installment of the Evolution Exchange.